it did give me opportunity to remember uh, the Hale Balp comet because I did feel like I was reading some um, cultish kind of stuff. The what uh, comet? Do you you don't remember Hale Bop? No. Heaven's Gate. What? Oh, go on. I mean, I remember Heaven's Gate. But yeah, well, uh, uh, so so he- in San Diego. <laughs> that's right. There you go. You, yeah, you yeah, got right. it. You know. You know yeah, this the, one. The, the, so, you know, and plastic bags. Like that's where we are. Where are we right now? <laughs> well, well, okay. Yeah, fair enough. So, I mean, I feel like we started last week with Palooza Gate and and uh, <laughs> with between Ocean's Gate and Heaven's Gate. I guess I just meant it. It got me down this cultish rabbit hole of faith in you know faith and stuff. Okay. Uh, in, so, in, the, then, in the case of Heaven's Gate, in the faith that there was a an alien in the wake of the Hale Bob comet, and when they off themselves, they'd be beamed right. up. Right. I did, I had forgotten that the comet played a role. I remember it was a passing spaceship, but I yeah. had actually forgotten that the comet was load bearing there. Yeah, yeah. As Paul mentioned, th- this was also a seminal moment of my early childhood. This is like one of you know. I feel like. Uh, the the bubble of childhood gets sort of penetrated by by things like you know in my case like the Berlin Wall coming down and things like that. Um, but this is one of them that also made it through. Hail Bop or Heaven's Gate or both? Both. Or are both. they are they tied together? They are tied together. Yes. Hail Bop was the comet that precipitated Heaven's Gate, folks. Where are we? What? Did, why, why did I take us here? I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I, well, did you? I, 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 is this like an object lesson of like, Brian, this is what you do to me all the time. I'm going to do it to you so you really appreciate it. And like, yeah, mercy, this is like, I don't know where I am. I'm definitely, I didn't choose to be here for sure. I mean, we're talking about cult suicide, cult ritual suicide. I, I got here because as I was, I was reading a bunch of the Doomerism and yes. I felt like I was like okay. educating mm. myself on flat earth philosophy. Which got me down to other cults. So, I mean, it's on me, to be clear. Did you get to the Leonids of 1833 by any chance? In your... (laughs) No, no. This is the danger. Like, okay, if we want to go on a crazy crawl, like, let's go. Let's go with... I've got three more destinations we need to be to before morning. No, so the the Leonids, uh, I believe it was the Leonids, meteor shower that happens every, I think, annually, maybe. And something like every 33 years, it's particularly heavy. And the 1833 Leonids were like off the charts. And in particular, there were like a lot, I mean, a lot of sonic booms. Have you ever seen like a big meteor? I don't know if you've ever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, sure. Like a big fireball where you're like, holy God. Yeah. And you can imagine. So the Leonids of 1833, they were huge and it led to a religious revival movement. And you can see why people are like, you know what? I, this is the right year to be religious. I, God is clearly like someone's pissed off about something up there. So I gotta, um, but yeah, I mean, there is something that, that is uh, captivating about the, uh, the, the heavens, the things we don't control. I mean, there are some yeah. big themes here with the doomers. I mean, it, 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 the kind of the presage doom is very core to the human condition. It feels like, it feels like this is very common. I'm, like many religions have this idea. Certainly there's the idea of the rapture. I mean, it's just like, this is something that uh, humans seem to be, be attracted to apocalyptic thinking. Like, I, I don't, I, I don't quite get it, but it is very much in our humanity. And I feel like I've, I've done it as well. You know, I feel now is your turn uh, to rattle off examples of me being of, of my <laughs> apocalyptic thinking. I'm, I'm really no, trying to. The, the, I mean, the biggest apocalyptic thinking I think you espoused was, to, was totally spot on, which was the, yes. the financial bubble bursting. Yeah. You just yeah. had it. You were just off by 
like five years, something like that. But it was it was a great prediction. It was. I was off by five years, um, and uh, so I definitely did not call the top of that one. Um, I uh, I did, uh, and when we we bought our house in two thousand eight, and I was convinced that it was like after all of my realizing that this thing was a bubble, I've got to manage to buy my house at the peak, um, which we didn't. Um, and the thing that I you know, I felt like I saw a lot of, oh, as a lot of people, I was not, not the only one who saw a lot of dangers in the bubble, in the housing bubble. Um, and I also, I just seemed like we just lived through the dot-com bubble. Like, didn't we all just live through this? And we're seeing it again, all of the same symptoms of kind of this manic thinking, this mania thinking. The thing that I, in the ensuing bust, which not to take anything away from the bust, and it was deep and so on, but I, I feel that the thing that I didn't factor in that is virtually never factored in by those who fall prey to apocalyptic thinking, especially when it comes to technology, is humans are adaptable. Humans will change what they are doing when things change. And that is the bit that we always seem to forget. I mean, Adam, I know we, we've talked about the fact that I, when I was a kid, I thought I was going to get a PhD in economics. Weird kid. I, that's what, right. why I, when I entered college, I, that's where I thought I was going. Well, and, I mean, I mean, not to prop you up too much, but you had actually done as a high schooler, as I recall, like some interesting work in economics. I, I, it, am I, 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 I putting that are, too far? No, are you are you doing this? Is a gift to me? I'm like, yeah, it is. It's true. Yeah, just I had putting done, that right up on the tea. Just oh, give it, tea. Take, take I, uh, a swing, kiddo. Oh, the cross price supply elasticity of the copper and wool markets. It was, I, it was, it was, it really was glorious. I was trying to figure out why this mine kept closing in Colorado. It was Malibu mines climax and discovered this really interesting pricing relationship between Molly and copper and that copper was by produced. And as a result, the copper producers weren't responding to Molly signals. And it was super interesting. I'm like, I want to be a mineral economist. This is amazing. I want to be a mineral economist again, weird kid. And the, but, and I take in macroeconomics as well. And I, but I had to retake a macro course when I got to university and, you know, have you ever taken, did you ever take economics, Adam? Again, in, your life is better in, if you have it. In high school, in high school, I, I was okay. required to. Do you remember Ceteris Paribus? Nope. Okay. So Ceteris Paribus is the, the, the kind of the bedrock principle of macroeconomics. And it is the idea that all of the things remain the same. And the, this is a, this is kind of an idea that is, uh, that seems a little strange. Like we're going to reason about this large economic system by holding everything else the same and only varying the variables that we care about studying. It's like, well, we're not actually doing that though. Right. And, but this is something you kind of like learn when you are learning economics. You're like, okay, I get it. Ceteris paribus. I understand why we do this. And I kind of, I accept ceteris paribus. I accept this. And I had long since accepted this when I arrived at school, was taking a, a macro course, and Prof introduces Ceteris Paribus, and as often happens in a class, someone was like, wait a minute, I don't understand how you can do that. And uh, she kind of explains it, and he's like, no, 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 that really doesn't make any sense to me. And I remember thinking, like, God, come on, dude, just like accept Ceteris Paribus so we can move on with the rest of the lecture. Uh, so she kind of explains it again, and he's like, no, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. You can't actually hold these things constant like you can't do this and then she kind of comes back at him and explains why you need to do this to be able to reason about the system and to his credit he's like no wait stop is that is this whole discipline built on this because this is just wrong and i remember thinking like wait a minute he's right he is actually and i remember my disposition thinking like i'm annoyed at this person to like no wait a minute this is the prophet among us and I actually think I'm going to go study computer science. It was a, he like I, walked out of class, became a computer scientist that day. 
Uh, more or less. And actually, because I was taking computer science concurrently and I was really excited about my computer science courses and wasn't having the same kind of existential crisis. And the reason that macroeconomics, and I mean, even still, like there's so much we don't understand about a macroeconomy because it is so hard to reason about. And ceteris paribus doesn't exist. You can't hold everything constant. People adapt. People change their behavior all of the time. People are not rational actors always. And so it's like you cannot, it's really hard to reason about an economy. And we don't like to accept the fact that people adapt and change. And I think that is, I mean, part of the the many, many, many problems I've got with some of this AI doomerism, just to kind of get us to the topic, is this assumption that people don't change. So in terms of why we're here now, so, and I don't know, have you seen any, actually, in terms of why this is a current topic now, do you know why this is a current topic now, I am convinced? Uh, no, tell me. The Andreessen's essay. This is why no, 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 no. this is all over the place. Because Andreessen wrote this essay, like, not that long couple weeks ago about how like uh and this is something something that is so peculiar is that the you would think web three you and i agree not well founded lots of reasons to question web three ai doomerism not well founded lots of reasons to question ai doomerism these surely these demographics overlap exactly but they don't seem to. <laughs> I know our our hero, Liron Shapira, who like has been dunking on Web3 folks for two years or whatever, and we've been salivating over that, is all in on GPT doomerism. He's an AI doomerist. Yeah. And which is indeed how I came across this because I follow Liron on Twitter because, you know, been feeding me that that web three, <laughs> the, the web three reality check that, that we like so much. And he is an AI doomerist. Meanwhile, Mark Andreessen and A16Z, uh, and I know some of us are eagerly awaiting the, the, the recent book from Greg Stixon because some of us are not <laughs> capable of not reading it. Well, you better keep waiting because it, it, this book based on a fad of a year ago is coming out a year from now. So, you know, stay tuned. You know, I think I missed that. That is, I had assumed it was just published. Oh my God. This is not coming no. out until next year. No, no, mm. March, March twenty four. Like, it, it's not going to make any sense anyway. That that's brave. That is, I, I really in the, admire in the, in the British sense of the word. In yes. the British sense, that is a very brave proposal. Yeah, uh, he admires my courage. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is that's very bold. So the the and uh, uh, amazingly, then the A16Z, which is this big Web three crypto proponent, and for, uh, broadly speaking, the, the proponents of A16Z, they are kind of AI rationalists. And Andreessen in particular wrote this essay, and of course, it is kind of falsely dichotomized it, which is part of the problem. Is that the like it, the, and because I don't know if you've read the Andreessen essay, it's not very good. I mean, it's like a lot of Andreessen stuff. Like, there's stuff in here that's good, but a lot of stuff I disagree with. And in particular, it it the same kind of stroke. It dismisses AI doomerism, but then also dismisses any kind of AI ethics or AI safety. It's like we actually don't need any of this. We actually just need to go full bore. Everybody do what they want. There can be no consequences of this. It's like, well, that's not true either. <laughs> can we, sorry, is there? Does there get to be a moderate middle here? And then you look at a lot of these debates and you are debating with kind of hypotheticals on hypotheticals. And it's very hard to 
have a debate when someone is talking about a magical machine that can recreate itself. You know, it's like, okay, we're not, are we not talking about something that's real? We're talking about something that's going to happen as opposed to something that is real. It makes it really difficult to reason about. Well, and when the proposed consequences are the end of everything. The I mean, the end of everything. I mean, okay, I, so I, you, you I, and I, I quoting here. You and I each pick a vow that we would yes. off the other if we said yes. certain of these phrases. But let us be clear that we are quoting that you are. So I think you should have a quote here from what, uh, what was his actual? Oh, we're not just we're not just talking about human level extinction. We're talking about this, the destruction of all value in the light cone. A dum, dum, universe dum. destroying bomb. It's like, yes. where are we now? Where are we right now? This is, we are so deep into science fiction. I, I don't even, but the, the, the and part of the reason we're here talking about this today is broadly the AI doomerists have stayed non-specific, which makes it very annoying because the one, it's very easy to sow fear. I think uh, fear is something, it's a very, an emotion that we all fear and that we all have, it's very easy to sow it. And so it's kind of sowing this uh, abstract fear. Um, And which again, it's very easy to do, especially when you leave it abstract. But the, they ventured in, in this particular thing that Liron quoted um, from with Emmett Shears, the, uh, the CEO of Twitch, where we, it ventures into the specifics. And in particular, it ventures into the specifics about, about how the AI is going to achieve this Vingian singularity. I guess he doesn't refer to it as such because that, I mean, the, the, maybe that would reveal that we are talking about science fiction, but that the AI in particular is going to master not just programming, but is also going to master chip design. It's going to ma- mm-hmm. master power distribution. Not sure what that means exactly. Uh, it's going to master all of the things that it needs to build a better computer for itself. Material and science too. I just want to add that to science. the list just just because, I don't know, that seems hard too. Uh, the, let us not, and, and auto tools. Someone is saying yes in the, in the chat. So, it, and this is like, all right, wait a minute. Now we are in the domain of something we actually, you know, it's, it's kind of like the Gelman uh, amnesia, right? Where we are now not in the domain in the kind of the material science aside. It's like, we actually do know a thing or two about building a computer. And in particular, we have no, or have really learned a thing or two about the challenges of building in the physical world. And I do think it's really important because I, I think people don't understand how brittle the things that we build are not in the sense that like when we make them they're robust yes and so you have this thing you've got a laptop you've got a computer you've got a phone it is robust when it was being designed though there was a a prolonged period where it it hung in the balance where any single defect was the difference between this thing being viable and it being not viable and I have been struck, I mean, Adam, I feel like I've been struck over my entire career over the, just, the, just how small a defect can exist in a computing system, be it hardware or software, and the outsized effect that that small defect can have. Yeah. And I feel, uh, I, I feel uh, we've seen this visually. Spot on. Um, uh, another, um, 
you know, uh, hero of the show, uh, D- Dykstra. And I use that, I think, <laughs> ironically, because we had a whole if show about... Yeah, I think we yeah, had a exactly. yeah, anti-hero. Anyway, yeah. His point about AI and programming was that um, he doesn't converge. You know, you have small changes can have outsized effects. And I think that that is potentially reductive, but certainly when you get into the realm of like chip design or complex systems, it's, it's really true. It's really true that it, you can't just converge your way to a functioning system. Well, you can't. And it's just like, um, and I, um, I say the following, not to shame you, which of course is uh, definitely uh, (laughs) bring, bring on the shame. But we shortly before we integrated D-Trace, we had a bug that felt devastating. Yes, we did. We did. We together did. No, I mean, I, I'm not. <laughs> we all did. We, and in particular, we together had all deleted <laughs> a line of code. All right, look. Fine. Let me be clear. Fine. I I deleted the line okay. of code. I asked these guys desperately okay, okay, to review so, the no, code. <laughs> let's just get this out there. So one, uh, I the uh. The, we, you deleted the line of code because you were doing the thing that had to be done that no one That's else right. wanted. It, it was never, like, it, and it wasn't it, like one line of code. It was like, like ten thousand or something lines of code to review, and it's like a needle in a haystack. And I and like I fucked it up. Which is it, it, literally anyone could have done it. And I've done this exact same thing many times. I think it, it, honestly, I think it's more interesting as an object lesson. So what we were doing just to give context is. There was a a legacy tracing facility in the kernel called VTrace. And recall, we were doing DTrace. I'm not sure if I, hopefully my millennial podcasting microphone is picking up the difference between V and D. <laughs> so we were, we wanted to rip out VTrace. And there was a bunch of pound if def VTrace code in the kernel that would do this stuff that was basically dead code. And we wanted to rip it all out. And uh, we knew someone needed to rip it out. And it was, and you were like, fine, look, I'll do it. I'll just, I'll rip it out. And when you were ripping it out, you, in the process, and you were ripping, I mean, it was, it was like a 10,000 line change. It was a huge change. And you ripped, you removed one additional line. And (laughs) that one additional line happened to be the line that initiated the first IO on boot on this particular SCSI HBA. And the, uh, on the FSP driver. And the manifestation of this was on this very small number of legacy platforms, we did not boot. And it was, we were dying early enough that it was more or less undebuggable. And this was the day before we were going to integrate. Um, and it was, uh, it was a high stress day. Um, and ultimately, because my, uh, honestly, my assumption was we had been doing some things that were pretty bold in the deep innards of DTrace. And it was that one of those bold bets was actually wrong. And this old platform, I just didn't even enter my mind that mm, like that just like whatever we needed to be true turned out to be not yes. true on this platform, yes. on this old chip, on this old card, whatever. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Because I was doing some, I was setting the global bit on a page. I mean, I was doing some weird shit and yeah. to get, and you know, you just kind of naturally go to the parts of the system that you know the best when you're debugging, you know, this is the, the kind of, um, you're going under the street light. Yeah, to the find street light. Your, yeah, exactly. Street light fallacy. And I went under the streetlight and I'm like, oh my, and, and, but and it took ultimately we, the only way we found that was by sitting down and reviewing the actual code because like we just were out of the ability to debug it. We knew. I mean, and there you're, you're, when you use we now, you're not talking about me because I was like working at home blissfully unaware of this. I was just like bopping along doing whatever it was I was doing. 
uh, you know, I guess video conferencing didn't exist in those. In video those conferencing days. didn't exist. I know it is funny. And like, and chat, we didn't have chat. No, it was only no. email. And you were like, yeah. I wasn't, I don't know, wasn't checking my emails off, like doing, I mean, and you, you didn't work. You're just like, we're checking yeah. emails, like, <laughs> right, reasonable, right. reasonable thing to do. Uh, and the, yeah, the, this is on. So any sun for you platform that had the FSP driver. So this is an old SCSI driver. Um, and we ultimately, but it was just like, wow, that's amazing. Like this one line of code was the difference between the thing being fine and the thing being dead, unworkable. And it's like, it's not brittle because if the line of code is there, it's like works robustly. It's not like the, the artifact itself is robust, but the, these digital systems are, these are not biological systems. They're not approximate. And I don't think people really, really, really get that about how much, because it just feels like, ah, eh, it feels like everything's kind of broken and everything's kind of squishy. It's like, no, 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 actually in order for a system to boot, things have to be absolutely correct. And millions and billions of instructions have to be absolutely correct. It is not something you can approximate yourself to. And do you think some of that comes from uh, that, some of that confusion or some of that conflation perhaps comes from the fact that with these LLMs and stuff, it is approximate and people don't necessarily understand it. And I think some of the, the certainly the excitement, but also some of the fear comes from experts in the field being astounded at how good this stuff has become very, very quickly. For sure. And I think it's actually a disservice that we're, that we keep quoting AI researchers. It's like, okay, like, cause it's something like people are like, oh, oh what is it? It's like 50% of AI researchers feel that there's a 10% chance that AI is going to destroy humanity. <laughs> and you're, people are just like, well, just like do the numbers on that. And that's like, that means there's, you know, the, the, even if you're like very conservative, it means there's a 1% chance this will destroy humanity. It's like, it actually does not mean that there's a 1% chance this is going to destroy humanity. Sorry, that's actually not what that means. And you, can we get to specifics, please? Can we talk about the actual mechanism by which humanity is destroyed? Can we just get into, and can we also like, can we do it without talking about like the nuclear codes? Don't you think that's cheating for the AI to launch <laughs> nuclear war? Yeah, I, I do. Stop. I do. I, right. Get more original AI. Get more original AI. No, you don't get to like you, you don't get to just launch nuclear weapon. Like, sorry. That's just that, that's just you piggybacking on someone else's doomsday device. It's like you need to be your own doomsday device, AI. You can you can hear me, chat. Don't look away, chat bot. I know you can hear me right now. You need to be your own doomsday advice. And like, how are you going to do this? And you know, the, the reality is you need humans like bipedal things with brains and arms and hands to do a bunch of things for you. And maybe it's like people are like, oh, well, it's going to, you know, it's going to convince all these people. But, you know, come on, I, I don't really buy it. And the and I just want to get like really, really, really specific. So in particular, Adam, I mean, we talked about like the, the, the kind of the bullet over the ear for, for D-Trace, but I kind of want to talk about some of the bullets over the ear for Oxide because there have been yeah. a bunch of them. And on both hardware and low-level system software. And I mean, there have been like honestly too many to even to even like name. But I there are some really common themes across them because any I, because it, I think here's here's another challenge that we've got. Right now, these abstractions are so good that we we collectively don't understand how extraordinary it is that they work. I mean, we've talked about this before about the magic of the PCB. And how the printed circuit board upon which all of humanity is built doesn't even seem to have a book written about its history. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, 
which I found, I, f- I still find like shocking. It's like this is such an important technological leap in terms of our ability to have the a, a P- these PCBs are so sophisticated and talking about the techniques that have been developed over the years and, and, and not just like the, the layout, but back drilling and all these things that are done for SI and so on. It's like there's, and, and the roughness. Remember when Tom was on describing the roughness mm-hmm. that we're having to model in the simulation software. I mean, these systems are so extraordinarily complicated and yet it's inaccessible. We don't talk about it. We don't teach what a PCB is and people kind of learn it on the job, but only those that are really kind of in the trenches of it. And I think we have done ourselves a disservice by not actually talking about more of this stuff. And in in particular, and I still would love to be proven wrong on this, people have not talked about what happens at Bring Up. We have at Oxide, but broadly, I I don't think anyone else has really done it. Has it really gone on the record about here is what happened during Bring Up, warts and all? Because people, they want to, it's, it's in everyone's best interest to kind of like be a magician. You know what I mean? That's right. To, to have that finished artifact, the laptop or the phone that works by magic and not showing all of the you know, garbage steps that occurred before it. Totally. And they're, and they're like, wow, there is a coin behind my ear. That's amazing. <laughs> and there's a coin behind your ear too. Like, wow, that's amazing. It's like, how did you do that? It's like, because there's a coin behind your ear. It's like, I guess there must be a coin behind my ear. That's amazing. It's like, well, why don't we just like get coins behind one of those ears? Let's do that. Like, that's uh like, let's just go, you know, have a little farm of magicians, of a, you know, like a poultry farm of magicians getting coins from behind ears. It's like, no, it's not, sorry, it's not magic. It's sleight of hand. It's like, that's not, and you just don't know how it works. It's not, there, there's not actually magic. But I think that our computing devices are kind of actually magic. And this is the, what, the Arthur C. Clarke line? That any technology, especially advanced technologies, industry, magic, or what have you? And I think that we now are treating it like magic and culturally we treat it like magic. So if it's magic, like, I don't know, like, why can't I make up my magic? I mean, it's magic. We're in magic land. Like, can't everyone just make up? So I, the magic I want to make up is that the AI can create computers. And right. it's like, it's not magic. No. It's not magic. And, and you can't imagine. I mean, I think, I think I speak for us both when I say like, there's a lot of AI optimism in terms of, what we will be able to do as engineers with tools based on AI and, and these large language models and so forth. Like having tools that can help us debug some of these things, that'd be great. Totally. Having tools that can do static analysis in much more sophisticated and interesting ways, like also terrific. But like that, you know, the the kinds of assisted and then automated analysis and debugging in software and hardware and all these things like we're so many times over the horizon before the machines are thinking before before they're creating themselves totally and this is where you know i've i adam as you and i both said but like i i always believe in getting the human in the loop before you take the human out of the loop and there is so much opportunity with the human in the loop and we had i thought we had a great discussion about this whatever it doesn't feel like it was that long ago right it was only a couple weeks ago maybe maybe a month or two ago on like what does GPT for mean for software engineering? I thought that was a really good discussion, and I thought like yeah. we can have this optimistic, forward-looking discussion, and therefore we will not have to just dismiss the AI doomers. And but apparently, I underestimated uh, my <laughs> own lack of resolve. Apparently, because here we are, and I think you know the, there's a question in the chat, but it's like, hey, I'm sure you guys have had systems that kind of like it's surprised they worked by accident, or you were surprised that they they were remarkably broken, but they worked anyway, and like that is true. 
But it's also, but much more frequently, especially when you're building these things, much more frequently you have a system that should work and isn't working and you don't know why. And that's what we have had a lot of, um, where we have had a system that feels like it. And this is where it's like, yeah, good luck, AI overlords. Um, and I don't know, Adam, I'm just gonna, I was going to go through a couple of these. I don't know what, what you think about it. I mean, some of these we've yeah, already talked sure. about, but yeah, it's all kind of make reference. And if you go to our... Uh, Tales from the Bring Up Lab, more Tales from the Bring Up Lab. We've gone through a bunch of these, um, but it, it, there've been some that have been like really, really painful. Uh, the first and foremost was this this uh, Renaissance, the power control, which we love, twenty two nine six eighteen, which we absolutely love, uh, and the uh, it, the protocol that it speaks to the AMD, the, the Milan, to actually provide this thing power. And we had uh, downright firmware. We had a bug in the firmware where this thing would would not acknowledge that it had set the power to the desired level. And as a result, like the SP3, the Milan would be like, hey, uh, I've asked it to go to this power level and haven't heard back. And we are looking at the power and the power looks great. But of course, the, the message had not been sent via the protocol that like, hey, you're done. And the reason that one really, really threw us is because we actually had a device, um, this SDLE device that we had used to, to model this thing and the, the which is great, AMD makes this SDLA, uh, which allows us to kind of understand the the, the power protocol. Sure, and sorry, this, what the, is the SDLA? I'm sorry. The SDLA, what does it actually stand for? This is the it, it is a it it did you actually see the SDLA? Oh, it's a kind of amazing. So it, you you take the CPU off and you put on this special device that oh. measures oh yeah and it's super cool this, and this is what it, eric calls like the load slammer or is that or is that yet yeah, a different so the load slammer was the one that we made for tofino the load oh, slammer gotcha. was the equivalent that we made for tofino and the sdoe is great um because it allows us to actually and so it sends all of the the, the kind of the 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 power protocol svi2 is the power protocol it's sending all of these requests for different voltage levels and so on and measuring that it's correct and measuring your margin da, 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 and it's great and we are all coming out margin looks great that tool did not depend on the protocol being correct. And the part the protocol had this and boy, that was talk about like, I mean, for want of a nail, the war was lost. I mean, this was, cause this was really, really frustrating for everybody, for us, for AMD. We were, I had everybody around like really trying to understand what the hell's going on here. And ultimately Eric cracked the case. Um, but it, it, it was, I got to some low moments and I, you know, I just, you know that it to, to kind of debug that required a lot of human characteristics it required not just rigor but also ingenuity and creativity and desperation honestly you know what role does desperation play? <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, I mean this goes to like uh to andreessen at an interview where he was like you know the problem with ai is it didn't evolve so it doesn't have a will to live and to a sense, oh. I, I don't really, uh, I don't know that I really ascribe to that, but like, that's sort of what you're talking about. Right? It like, is. Oh, for we, sure. We're kind of tapping into that littered brain evolutionary mechanism to say we must survive. Like we, we will get to the next generation. We will get to the next generation. We must make landfall so we can reproduce. No, absolutely. It, 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 because like when you hit, that point and i think it's like it's really interesting to kind of get there because you become much more amenable to new ideas <laughs> you know i mean like no idea is kind of too crazy because you're just like yeah we are we're desperate actually 
And we are, our back is against the wall. You know, I've always like been kind of mesmerized. I mean, you know, I've talked about this in the past, but world war two is this bottomless pit of history, right? It's so Mm -hmm. much happened. And I think it was so intense and so stressful. But I mean, I think there's a, there's a reason that whole generation came out like smoking like chimneys, right? I think that's a fair assessment that World War II was stressful. I think I think that's I think you could win that debate. <laughs> right. right, I feel like that's a winnable one. I, I think World War II was very stressful. Uh, in and summary, I think it, in, in summary, World War II a stressful event. And but I think that you look at how much technological innovation happened in a super short period of time. And the, the and yes, I mean there were precursors of the atomic bomb and 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 for me and and in the 30s there were precursors of you know of radar there were precursors of of jet engines there were precursors of all this stuff happening before the war but it's like that existential threat managed to really motivate people really focusing absolutely really focusing and you get this like incredible technical dividend. And I feel like the same thing. It's like when you, when your back is against the wall, it's like, and you think like, we have got to find a way and, and you know, all we can do is summon like the summon the right people and give ourselves, I mean, cause you do have this like luxury of total focus. Like there is not a question about what is more important when your back is up against the wall. And the, it, and then it, it, you start experimenting with things as a result, right? You start like doing like I, we know we need to do some some radically different things because uh, we th- that kind of experimentation our survival could depend on. I say the next generation, we have to get to the next generation, um, yeah. and uh, th- and then that was the, definitely I felt like and again there have been a couple of these, but that that was a really concrete one. And there you got like the device is not doing what the device says it does. And so when people, and there were people who were like, oh, but wait a minute, like you could just give the AGI a credit card and it could create a PCB online. It's like, it doesn't really work that way. I mean, even if you can do all that, you, which you, by the way, you can't, maybe you can do it for a two layer or four layer board, but like you actually have like a big board, like that's not what's going to actually happen. And you are going to, ha- and when you have, I mean, so th- this is a voltage regulator, the 229.618 is a voltage regulator. It is an extremely complicated, full featured part. And, you know, it's, it's not very easy to reason about, frankly. And like, this is a domain in which it was not doing what it's documented to do. So like, what now chatbot? It's like, what, what do you, you know, it, it, you do need to be doing things that actually are, are, don't make sense. Or, I mean, Adam, how many times have you debugged something? Was like, all right, I'm going to do this, even though like, I know it's not over here, but I just don't know what else to do. I mean, like today, today, like literal minutes before the show started, uh, a colleague, Ben, ben Nacker and I were, you know, banging our heads against something. And it was sort of like, let's try this. I don't know that it makes sense. But at least it's something, and then we never need to think about that thing again. So yeah, you, you turn to desperate places. You know, this is actually uh, the this is actually the origin of Brendan's screaming at drives started with one of these. Yeah, where we were debugging the where Schrock was debugging the one outlier on the JBOD, where we had a JBOD and we had one outlier in terms of IO latency, we did not understand it. Right, we had one disk that was throwing up these enormous latencies. And this was like in a, in a pack of like 48 identical discs. That's right. And I do, I mean, I don't know if this moment like made as much of a mark on you as it did on the Adam, but then, and I can't, I, and I apologize if we've talked about it on Oxide Friends because we very well might have, but when Schrock was like, 
I think we should go look at it before we go to lunch. Do you remember this? I'm like, yeah, totally. You're like, why would we do that? Why would we do that? That is the First dumbest all, idea. Why would we do it before lunch when we could look at it after lunch? <laughs> right. But it's like, you know, we're not going to, like, there's not a raccoon in the data center. I don't think. <laughs> but I remember saying, but this is where it's like, this is the great advantage of desperation. It's like, yeah, let's go look at it. Let's do it. You know what? Like, why? Sure. And then we go pull the drive out and all the screws have worked themselves out of the drive. And you realize that like, oh my God, this thing was vibing to death. And that's what sent Brendan on the path of reproducing that and ultimately shouting at tests. Cause you're like, wow, wait a minute. And you understand this kind of like new property about your system. that You kind of didn't realize that you had, and you did it because you hit that moment of desperation and then also curiosity, right? It's like, yeah. I mean, that was another thing. It's like that, that very, again, human characteristic, like, wait a minute, why is this one over here? Like these should all be like, why is there one that has an outlier? And, you know, again, it's like, you know, chatbot, what do you investigate? What do you not investigate? Because so many of those wisps of smoke turn out to be really, really, really germane. You think, oh my God, thank God we actually opened that door because that actually ended up being really, really yeah. important. Yeah. You know, you know, we were talking about this, not to tease a future show too much, but we've had a, a bunch of problems with async rust and cancellation. Yes. And yeah. is there a... You know, and, and it took uh, a lot of sophisticated thinking to figure out, you know, the source. It, we, we saw a lot of kind of ghosts in the machine types of failures now, you know, potentially attributable to these future cancellations. Um, and is there is there this kind of static linter that could look at the amalgam of rust and identify this shortcoming and, and propose workarounds for it? It's like, Sure, I'd love I'd love to see this kind of static analysis tool. It does not feel imminent. It does and not. Until you can solve these kinds of problems, you can't build complicated systems, complicated systems that are robust. Well, it's this is actually Adam, this is that you're on a very another very important point that the these lower layers of the stack like the async runtime and then the things that build upon it. When there's a flaw in dropshot it, there's now a flaw in every piece of software that uses Dropshot. When the, and it's it, like these cracks in the foundation, I mean, we, we use it metaphorically, but I mean, it's, it's, it, there's a reason we use it as a metaphor. The crack in the foundation has consequences way, 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 way up. And I, I think people don't always appreciate how important the robustness of that foundation is because they've had it for so long. I mean, Adam, yeah. you remember when you're, like, I mean, you grew up, you grew up before memory protection, right? I mean, you were you had like OS nine or whatever. And, totally, and, totally, yeah, absolutely, right. yeah. Where you'd have like you know some application would murder some other application, you know, if you were lucky. And the machine and, would uh, kind of, yeah, yeah, totally. I could write little scheme programs in my scheme interpreter where if I dereferenced <laughs> a null pointer, it would you know cause the uh, the Mac OS ten box to like hard hang. It's great. When I do feel that, like, as a result, like, we kind of came up at a time when the, 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 the lack of foundation was very visceral and apparent. Hmm. And now it's, now that's, like, not true. I mean, if you have a Chromebook, that thing's not going to, like, bounce on you, really. You know? Or, you know, yeah, we, so it, it, I agreed. And you imagine, like, you know, uh, the graybirds like us who were coming up at the time of Mac OS 9 also saying, you guys don't know how good you have it. You know, so these, this, uh, this foundation has just been solidifying and, uh, you know, AI may be a 
piece of this next foundation, but I don't, I don't know. But I, I think that's, that's what it's going to look like. Not like suddenly, um, you know, that suddenly things are possible that were never even conceivable before. Well, and especially again, when you kind of cross that chasm into the physical world where it's just like, I just don't know how, I, I don't know how AI is going to debug these things when it's software, software interaction, let a, but software hardware interaction. I mean, yeah. we, just because it is like super recent, I mean, another, what felt like, again, another kind of bullet over the ear is uh, we've got press fit dims and we had some dims with bent, with bent pins. And it's like, yeah, and didn't, didn't we get a little rough with one of the dims too? Okay. Okay. That's a very pointed. We, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I can, get, I can give as good as I get. Oh, you can, you okay. Listen, I, I, you know, I'm really trying to hold you not accountable for the B trace thing, but clearly that's what this is about. No. Okay. Yeah. So first of all, okay. It should be said that I was removing a dim and the, the entire press fit dim connector came out in my hand and the, the, I would have to have superhuman strength. I mean, it's <laughs> clearly this thing has, uh, it, well, it was, it, and, but it was a manufacturing issue, right? And, you know, manufacturing issues happen a lot. And actually, you know, I'm reminded of another one. And I can't remember if we, how much we talked about the shark fin issue, but we had the, our Rev D shark fin. So the shark fin uh, takes from the gimlet, which is our compute sled. And the shark fin is going from from PCIe to the U.2, so it's a it's a U.2 connector. It's fits in the PCIe yeah, it's slot. A, it's like a it's like a little riser, but you know, little riser. Yeah, yeah, pretty simple. Um, I mean, as relatively to be clear, like pretty simple. No fucking way I could ever design it. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and uh, like and 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 I, this is pretty simple. And I also like AI is not making this either. But as an ex a concrete example, we had our Rev D shark fins show up. And all of a sudden, like drives are not being recognized. What the hell's going on? And uh, and this is actually true. I mean, this is just amazing. I just I love watching our team spring into action. And between Robert and RFK and Nathaniel and Eric and me, everyone's kind of debugging it simultaneously and going through. I mean, the first the first thought is like, well, everyone assumes that the eye of Sauron is on them. So I'm like, okay, it's somehow my software is to blame. And then the you know the folks that did layout are like, did I screw up the layout somehow? And the folks that are, and we're going through the schematic, and the schematic didn't change. And as it turns out, the wrong part was stuffed. We got the, we had the wrong part was loaded. So a, the, a, the, the reel that was put into the pick and place machine was wrong. And it was a mistake that was made on the dock. I'm like, sorry, how does the AI debug this issue? I'm just, just walk me through it. You know, walk me. I just don't get it at all where it, it just requires it's like oh well in this world uh robots control the entire supply chain or the you know the, the uh this was saying well the ai doesn't make that mistake it's like well no actually the mistake that was made was made by a human being at a manufacturing facility on a loading dock so i'm not sure about this uh, i mean but, alternatively you know, if the machines do take over like our opportunities to sabotage them will be will abound right all oh, we have to do is like abound. Oh. <laughs> we'll trip them up on anything right oh i know okay so now we kind of okay the, yeah now I, I, I if we get to kind of flip our hats a little bit here yes so this is all assuming that we all are trying to assist the ai in its mission of building not just humanity destroying infrastructure but a universe destroying bomb you know his words 
the uh, this is assuming that we all want to assist it. I, I still don't see how it happens. Now, Adam, as you say, like this is an adversary. It's like, oh my right. god, we have so much opportunity to fuck with it. <laughs> I mean, do you remember when people were there? There was a time when people were bullying self-driving cars. I would. Uh, I yes. And, well, and so, to be clear, like it would have been me if I had the opportunity. I just oh, hadn't seen them around. So Samsung has a Silicon Valley campus, uh, which we had to go down to occasionally. I had to go down to when joint was bought by Samsung. Patrolling this Samsung campus are Samsung security robots. These are these cones <laughs> on wheels. Have I told you this? <laughs> no, I am. I mean, on one hand, I was sort of imagining Ed 209 oh, with the fact God. that it's a cone on wheels. <laughs> I uh, really just brought me down to earth quickly. Oh my God. I have never wanted to run something down on my car more. And like to the point where I'm like animal brain, what is going on? Like if you put like a literal cone, like a traffic cone there, I'm not like, God damn, I want to run that cone over. But for whatever reason, this thing is also like kind of patrol. It's following me first of all. And it's kind of like, and I'm like, I want to run you over. Bot, I want to. I don't want to just run you over. I want to. I. I, I want to give you a swirly. That's what I want to go to. I want to bully like, you in the most middle school sense. It's just like, I mean, Andreessen's animal brain survival, yes, but like the the <laughs> sophomoric deep down desire to give robots swirlies, like, is even oh, more I, intrinsic. It turns out, it is. It is d- baked very deep <laughs> in our humanity, and <sighs> I. Uh, I mean, God, it was, it, you know, it, to the point where it was almost uncanny. I have, I'm really having to resist. Because like, clearly the thing is like loaded with cameras. It's not like I'm going to get away with it, but I still like, God, <laughs> I want to run this thing over. I want to run this thing over. So, uh, I mean, so yeah, uh, you, 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 you think about these, like when the, if we are actually adversarial with these things and it's dependent on all of this firmware and all these parts, and it only knows how to read the data sheet. And it's like, Oh my God, this is a this is fishing in a stocked pond. I mean, this is, I mean, sign me up for the, 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 the red dawn Wolverines equivalent in the, in the human resistance movement. I mean, I can't wait. There's so much, you know, uh, can, can you make a red dawn reference? Is that a, is that a safe reference to make? I'm not I sure. So. I, yeah, I think, I think I, I'm not, not sure how well red dawn is held up. Uh, that, I don't know. It might be like, like when I when I showed uh, Peter Pan <laughs> to my child and instantly regretted it. Peter Pan. Um, oh, yeah. The, oh, really? Yeah. Like the animated it's, Peter Pan. Yeah, it's it's real really? bad. Really? Yeah. Oh, real, no. real bad. Yeah. Like okay, good to know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just take just just just, just erase all questions. the fond memories you have. Yeah, just, just erase the fond memories. Side. Yeah, and but just yeah, just apologize for them. Um, uh, well, okay, well. but, but like in terms of this AI doomerism, and maybe this is, this is the, the big thesis here. I mean, the folks making these claims either probably both don't understand the underlying technologies, you know, but lower down in the stack and view them as implementation details or as solved yeah. problems, right? There are no problems left in chip design. There are no problems left in PCBs or in networking or in systems. It's like, actually, there are tons of problems. Every day there are problems. Yes. And I, I agree with all of that. 
I also think that many of these people are just used to kind of creating things with their mind. It's like, mm. oh, I said to do this and then it happened. And it's like, yeah, there was actually a huge amount of pain. And because you like you are a poor manager or leader, no one bothered to actually uh, escalate these issues that were happening. And you actually had no visibility into how this thing worked. All you know is that it worked in the end. And it's like, yeah, you actually don't know how uh, how extraordinarily close it was to not working. Yeah. Um, and you're not really interested in the details. Um, yeah. well, and then also from a field that spent 30 years in the wilderness to then suddenly be like everything working in ways that surprise everyone. So a, a, a little bit hungover on that. A little bit hungover. And I think like they themselves, I mean, AI researchers are surprised by the emergent behavior. And so that is like, that is also <laughs> whenever you have technologists that are kind of surprised by the behavior of the thing that you're like, okay, why, why are you surprised? Um, but it's like, well, we actually don't understand how this thing works completely. And we don't, you know, I think Keith was on here last time saying that if you, if you tell this thing, it's John Carmack, it will be, it's much more likely to be correct. And I don't think that they completely understand why that is the case. So, and okay, so here, let me ask you this. How much of the AI doomerism is coming from AI researchers versus coming from those that are kind of like in the, the, the hoi polloi, kind of the chattering class of technology who are observing this and observing the AI researchers having concerns and then magnituding, then kind of like increasing the concerns of their own accord? I mean, how much of that is like the yeah. AI researchers? I mean, it really feels like the latter. I mean, obviously, there's some crossover of like, AI researchers who are also hucksters. Um, but it really feels like uh, folks who are regarded as technically, you know, thought leaders rather than the folks who are in the trenches practitioners. And are you, are you as shocked as I am by the, this kind of web three, the kind of the Leron and flip-flop here? <laughs> I'm, I'm hurt by it. You know, there is, <laughs> there's the, there's the Simpsons episode where Marge comes out against Entry and Scratch, Scratchy against violence and then is interviewed <laughs> because Michelangelo's David is going on display and a bunch of folks oppose his nudity. And Marge says, I don't know, seems fine to me. And I, I, have, I have the same reaction of like, wait, I, I agreed with you so much on this other thing. Why suddenly do I disagree with you on this on this other one? Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's I I. I, I had sort of hoped that you know skeptics were skeptics, but uh, that's wrong, obviously. And, and is it my mind? I mean, it just does feel like that the, there there is this this kind of uh, loud din. And I also think of, like it's it's dangerous. I mean, I think it's also worth looking back to some of the because I mean, as we said at the top, this kind of apocalyptic thinking. There is this substrate of it among technologists, and if folks haven't re read it recently. Um, there, Bill Joy wrote a piece in Wired in 2000 called "The Future Does Not Doesn't Need Us." And Adam, you obviously read this at the time because we talked about it. <laughs> yeah. I, okay, so you had not yet come to Sun. Were you embarrassed to come to Sun after that? Uh, no. And it was not as sort of. I think like your mom was asking you about it. I guess my mom like didn't read Wired or whatever at the time. So yeah, I was like my mom was like, I I had to like talk my mom's book club off the roof on that. <laughs> so, because my mom was like. He works for Sun. Brian works for Sun, so this must be very, very serious. Like this, <laughs> he would not. And my mom, you know, God bless her, like trusts institutions. She's like, Wired would not have published this if it weren't very serious. I'm like, Wired <laughs> is a bunch of hacks, mom. It's like, the... 
so okay so you do not but i mean this you obviously read it and yes and it's i mean it's just unhinged i mean like look if you are quoting ted kaczynski at length if you were having to say like look i'm not apologizing for that i, I think that ted kaczynski is a monster if you have to but he made some good points right if you, it's like you know you got to really like check yourself here and the, i mean i think that like he talks about and i i really really hope and I'm, I'm sure that he will claim some degree of prescience in this piece because he but he shouldn't because he talks about things like genetically modified foods and in particular nanotechnology and nanotechnology is one of these things that like sounds very scary and this is based on Feynman's piece of you know a machine that could make a smaller machine and what if this what if this it occurred kind of ad infinitum you would have these machines that are kind of molecular sized machines that could do arbitrary things and this is care Drexler's vision of turning you would have a, you know a weapon that could turn people into gray goo anytime someone makes a reference to gray goo they're making a nanotechnology reference effectively and nanotech well, I mean, I, I was embarrassed that I read all of that book before realizing that none of it had actually been implemented. Mm. And this is all just like, oh, wait a minute. This is all like you. Sorry, I'm reading science fiction right now. Just chief imaginary. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And it's like these is all these kind of like hypotheticals on what could possibly happen. But it's like, sorry, this is not. There are also really practical reasons why this isn't going to happen. And, you know, you would talk to like. You know, and actually, in the in the piece, it's funny. Bill is like, yeah, you know, my scientist friends would tell me that nanotechnology was there. There are physical reasons why this is impossible, and I, I you know, I made the mistake of listening to them for too long. I'm like, wonder how you feel about that one. Looking back on it, <laughs> yeah, I guess that makes sense. That's one way to feel about it. Um, but I think we we do, and I, I think we we have uh, you know have talked about um, Y2K was this way, and the the lead up to Y2K, there was a lot of doomerism. And those predictions, I just feel like we we don't go back to some of these past predictions and say, like, wait a minute, can we go, like, why did we get this so incredibly wrong? And how does that inform the way we think? Because I think that that too often people kind of pick their own metaphors and, I mean, like, all right, fine, look, I'm probably the last person to be accusing others of picking their own metaphors, but I do feel that people pick advantageous metaphors and the one that people love to, when they talk about AI or technologies that they think are going to be dangerous, you know you are T minus 10 seconds away from nuclear weapons. Everyone wants to talk about nuclear weapons. And like no doubt, nuclear weapons are obviously very dangerous and merit very tight regulation. They are also weapons. They are they are indisputably weapons. And there's a lot that's been I wish people would learn more about nuclear non-proliferation and the kind of the 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 nuts and bolts there before they would immediately go to the, the, the nuclear metaphor, because it's like, why not go, maybe you should go to Y2K as a metaphor more frequently. Mm. So uh, maybe to bring some of the AI doomerism to more immediacy and pragmatism, someone mentioned in chat, Timnit Gebru, who talks yeah. about you know, discrimination and totally. racism yeah. in, inherent in these models. Uh, the other side of it is the energy consumption from these models is enormous, enormous. Totally, yeah. So uh, maybe this is my own kind of doomerism, but it seems like the misuse of AI, not in the creation of super robots, but in continuing to hold up prejudice and racism and otherism generally, like 
that to me is actually more immediate and terrifying, as is the justification of dumping more CO2 into the atmosphere. I mean, I, I wish that some of these doomsday sayers were more focused on immediate doom problems. I, I, totally. And I, I mean, I think it's just, it feels like it's more mundane to talk. It's like, oh, we can talk about racism again. It's like, yes, we're going to talk about racism again. Sorry. Yeah, we haven't solved that one yet. That's we still, haven't solved that that's one yet. Still... No, we're not going to talk about, I know you want to talk about like the laser-eyed robots, but we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about racism. Sorry. And I, no, absolutely. And the way that these things are, I, I mean, you get very nervous about these things actually being when we're outsourcing decisions around a loan approval to a, oh, sorry, like the, the, the large language model has, uh, based on your loan application, has rejected you. It's like, I, okay, you want to get into a little more detail, please? Can you explain why? Because, uh, no, and it's like, yeah. we don't know why. It won't show its work. Like, that's it not a thing it does. Right. Or, 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 or sometimes it does show its work. And then when it does, actually, it contradicts the decisions it made. So, um, yeah. And totally. we don't really get how it works, but it just comes with the answer. I, I, totally. And it's like, the, I, and I do think it's a, it's a big mistake. And this is like I, this false dichotomy that's, that's just driving me up the wall. Then it's like, well, you either need to be an AI doomer or you need to dismiss any kind of ethical or safety concerns around AI. And it's like, why can't we think of AI? And I actually do think we are best served by thinking it like not that unlike the internet. Like internet, really big deal. If someone you know, 15 years ago or more maybe was saying, hey, the internet, I think the internet is something that we need to pay attention to the safety of. I mean, I think at the time you'd be like, okay, are we really? How can the internet be dangerous? It's like, well, we've seen how the internet can be dangerous. And the internet is, I mean, the internet, I think, led to an insurrection on January 6th. The, the, I mean, I don't think that that is, that is far, far fetched, right? The internet has led to some really, really bad human behavior. The internet is not necessarily to blame but it's definitely involved um i also think that like when you look at like well how do you regulate that i'm not sure what the answer is there because I mean, it's not i mean I, i'm not sure that regulation is is going to be the the one and only answer i do feel that we on a lot of these things we need to make sure that we are enforcing existing laws um which actually is important yeah and and hard to uh imagine anticipating the multifarious problems of the internet 20 years ago, 25 years ago, 30 years ago. Um, but rather yeah. to, your, to your point at the onset, like humans change, like we are not held static. Uh, we adapt to new conditions and trying to say that we need to like anticipate everything and set in place the prescribed laws and regulations, you know, for these events that are three times speculative over the horizon. Uh, it's tricky. It's tricky. I also do feel that the and let us not also underestimate human resilience. And that's the other thing. I I also feel that like these people kind of need to spend some more time outside. You know what I mean? And I don't mean that in like a touch grass sense, although maybe that too. But I mean like go backpacking, like get really get to because I I think one of the things I I love about backpacking is not just because you feel both the human advantages and all the technology that you rely upon to kind of to propel yourself through the wilderness. And, but you, uh, you also feel about how kind of brittle it is and how much you vary, you know, anyone who hikes the Pacific crest trail is relying on being able to pick up food every, you know, n miles. 
and having food stores and food caches and sending food ahead. Nobody is starting at the Mexico border with the food that they need to, to get to, to uh, Washington, to Canada. And it's like, we are dependent on the things around us. And so we are both, I mean, at once we are both vulnerable and extraordinary result, extraordinarily resilient. Things are both brittle and robust. And it's like, yeah, it's, I, I know it's all like a lot to wrap the brains around. It's like, welcome yeah. to the human condition. Sorry. Yeah. And strength in numbers, right? Like that, I think built into what you're just saying, it's like, it's not just the individual, it's the community and, and holding each other up and supporting each other. Yeah. That's a good point too. In terms of like, you also have a, you know, when the back is really against the wall, you, you actually do have a lot of us and like, there's some, you know, really creative people out there. Yeah. And, you know, it's really, ex- I mean, certainly one of the things that I've loved about Oxide is when we have had any number of these problems that have felt unresolvable, watching everyone really begin to figure out how they can contribute to, to finding a solution. And, you know, the solution comes from, you, it's very hard to forecast where that solution comes from. And, mm-hmm. you know, and actually just like maybe a just going on, I'd like to get maybe one or two more just concrete details that I, th- I feel like the, the just in, in case people don't yet have the confidence that the AI is not going to make hardware um, or not going to build its own computer or not going to achieve the thing in singularity, the number of times that we have had parts that have been misdocumented or that we just don't do the right thing. Uh, I mean, we had an issue with our Chelsea O'Nick where the, the, the resistor was wrong. We had the wrong pull-down resistor on there, pull-up resistor, I can't remember which direction it was. But the they were documented as only need, as as one k resistor being sufficient. As it turns out, we needed a stronger resistor. We needed a we needed to actually uh, four hundred ninety nine ohm resistor. And it's like again, good luck. You know, the way we found that is by a huge amount of experimentation and desoldering components and you know the, reworking things over and over and over again and things that required not just ingenuity but our hands. And like we actually had to like solder things and this is this is the stuff that you know the as someone says in the chat yeah desolder and rework all the things and i don't know i mean i it'd be kind of entertaining to do bring up at the behest of chat gpt i I mean i'm not sure i'm not sure how long it would last (laughs) having it send you on little missions to like clip solder a bit clip resistors and resolder things and bodge wires and so forth yeah that'd be Yeah, That'd just, be interesting. It would be interesting. I think it would be interesting for like the first maybe thirty minutes. It'd be kind of entertaining, and then you realize like <laughs> we are not actually gonna gonna converge. On, um, so I mean, I, I, and I feel like again, there are a ton of these. We've had a, a, a we've had a lot of these where we've had the things that felt like we it really has has taken our collective creativity to be able to ship a system. And if we hadn't been talking about it, people wouldn't know it. They would just power on an oxide rack and it would just work. And they would think it's like, yeah, I could make that. It's like, nope, the AI definitely, definitely can't make it. Uh, and I don't feel we're on a trajectory for that. And that assumes that, again, Adam, that, there, that the AI is not adversarial. And if it is adversarial, then we're really going to start to screw with it. Can you imagine? That's just going to be great. That's how I keep delightful. Going. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, and one of the things I actually funny because, uh, so teenage boys will become our greatest resource in the fight. Oh, against the can you imagine that we <laughs> ask 15 year olds to sign up to serve not just their country, not just humanity, but the universe, 15 year old boys, the whole light cone, the, the whole light cone, serve the light cone, your light cone needs you uh, to, 
um, yeah, no, that we need the, and then we don't mean to pick on the boys, but uh, the, uh, the, the boys are the ones. Boys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the ones that have been using, um, I think, I'm sure we talked about this last time, but they've been using ChatGPT on Nextdoor um, to troll our neighbors with uh, indignant posts. As they said, it's like, God, ChatGPT is great. It sounds so adult. Um, and it's, uh, it's really, uh, very far too effective and that's what we will need. Yes, we will need, we will need them to serve, serve the light cone in mischief. Um, and also, cause it mean, I think that we would, uh, and I, I think in a future episode, we are going to talk about the ways that we secure our, our root of trust. Um, because there, so we've got a root of trust on the, on, on all of our parts on the gimlet, on the compute slide on the sidecar switch, on the PowerShell controller, we have a root of trust. And how do you secure what is ultimately the private keys for that thing? And we, again, we're going to need to do a whole episode on this because it was so, I mean, Adam, I'm, I, I'm yeah. sure you were, you were as fascinated by that. I mean, it's super fascinating because ultimately the, the root of the root of trust are keys sitting in a safe deposit box at a bank that will be unnamed. Um, and you said too much. Right. I said too much. But it's like, can you imagine we're going to intercept the Samsung robot on the way to the, the safe deposit box? I mean, it's like, it's going to be like, yeah, go ahead. Good luck, robot army, securing your firmware, because ultimately you are going to have to depend. Like, you're going to have to have, you're going to have to generate private keys. And you're going to have to, in order to prevent us humans, us wily humans, the, the 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 ape that was able to actually put uh, put one of our own on the moon you're going to have to actually outsmart us as we attempt to infiltrate your ceremony and and infiltrate you and also it, it does it, because we're serving the light cone we're serving humanity we're serving the universe it does it like the mirror neurons don't even it doesn't even feel like you're you know it, it just feels unequivocally good there's not even the kind of the moral ambiguity of of the fog of war this is like no there's no the, 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 there's uh, no equivalent uh, of a of a. What, what, I mean, sorry. What is a war crime against ChatGPT for? I feel like we've gone from AI skeptics to planning the insurrection <laughs> against the AI overlords in like pretty in like a, you know hour and six minutes. That's I'm, right. I'm for it, sign me up. Right. They they call them the large language model butcher. They uh, uh, <laughs> uh, um yeah. I, although I guess I'd get I'd get a um. We, we we need we need like war names if we're gonna be. But I'm ready. I'm I'm ready to go. Uh, I, I I'm I'm ready to to serve the light cone um, and to use all my creativity because it's like there's no way. I'm mean, unfortunately it's not going to get to that. I'm like I'm ready, but it doesn't matter because we're not going to get anywhere. <laughs> That's right. You could be a perpetual reservist in the anti AI. <laughs> army yeah. <laughs> right i am still ready to be actually maybe that's what we need maybe that's what we need to counter the ai doomerists maybe we uh, need to have the reserves we are like look, we're not, no with the light cone to to, yeah. to, to, to to save the light cone it's like look you all said this is a low probability event so low probability humanity is gonna be destroyed low probability we're gonna call up the reserves and here, you know, sign up for the reserves to fight the AI. And do you think that's going to make people feel more or nominal, less secure? For a nominal fee. I think it's a great opportunity. <laughs> for a nominal fee. I will pay that nominal fee. I'll pay double. Um, yeah, to be in a, to be in a bot fighting militia, I, um, you know, I think I'm, I, um, 
I, again, I'm not sure this is going to make people feel better or worse. All right, so how do we do? Do we th- are are people feeling less uh, doomerific? I'm hoping that we. Um, I would say I know that it would be a reasonable counter to say, like, was all of this actually necessary? Do people actually exist out there who are AI doomerists? But they de- AI doomerism absolutely does exist. So absolutely, and, and, uh, and deadly serious about it, surprisingly serious, even from people who you think of as you know right thinking anti Web three folks. <laughs> Leron, we are looking right at you, pal. Come on. <laughs> The oh, okay, someone did drop into the chat. So that's the, the someone dropped the robot into the chat, Adam. <laughs> I see. I mean, the code that you needed to harass. Oh my god! And again, like I think they are trying to design this. Like we wanted to make it appear friendly. It's like I overshot the mark on that one because I uh, hold <laughs> right holy. into derpy, like way past <laughs> friendly into derpy. <laughs> Derby, and I feel that I, I, I mean, I'm only going to uh, to win social clout by destroying this thing. I mean, it just, doesn't that, don't, right? Don't you feel the same thing? Oh, it'd be tough to walk by that without giving it a little shove, at least. I was in my car, and it was coming at me beeping. I'm just saying. Like, I... <laughs> you angered it? I, it's, it was following me to begin with, and then it started chirping at me, and then I got in my car, and it's kind of like chirping at me. And again, like I've, I'm just, just at Sam's, just leaving Sam's. I mean, I haven't done. I mean, like it's got nothing to chirp me for. But I was like, holy moly, do I want to run you over, pal? Get lost, narc. Exactly. <laughs> uh, ex- exactly. Uh, someone just posted a picture of it in a fountain. A bit of fountain. Yeah. Well, I think it, it, like these things, that's why. I mean, the mirror neurons aren't going to fire. It's going to feel truly victimless to go do these things. And that's why it's like they're not going to function very well as security because it doesn't, it doesn't forget not feeling criminal. It doesn't feel wrong. It doesn't feel like it doesn't even feel like the destruction of property for whatever reason, even though it probably should. So, all right. Well, I am. Um, I, I'm looking forward to uh, signing up to be in the reserves in, in our uh, anti bot militia. Um, but I do think that our, um, our, the, the future of the light cone, I feel that is safe. I feel like I think safe. the universe also safe humanity yeah. also safe. Come on. It, and like, I'd say also bullish on AI, um, like not, not skeptics, uh, but skeptical of, of the, the future, not needing us. Skeptical of the future, not needing us, and see our, what I thought was a great discussion. I really enjoyed our discussion. Um, we had Ashley on there, a bunch of other folks, um, talking about what how we think software engineering can be benefited from this. So I think there's a lot that, that we are not AI skeptics. But we, we, for one, welcome our AI overlords. Uh, what was your line? I think you were, as you were appealing oh. to our future overlords. Yeah, and, and want to remind them that podcast hosts can be useful in softening up a compliant population. That's a Simpsons reference. Again, I'm afraid that we need to always need to qualify that. Alrighty. Um, on that note, um, I think we I may have a surprise guest next time. So uh, stay tuned. I'm still securing our guest, but we may have a oh, surprise to me. Guest. I can't wait to find out. Well, you know, it always is. And I'm just, again, yeah. I apologize for being trolled on Sunday morning. Leron, we put this at, at your feet. All right. Take care, everyone. Thanks, everyone.